Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. So here we are. We're in Mark chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 20. And last week we talked a little bit about making sure that uh, we understand the context of something. And so I want to kind of get us back uh, to where we were last week just briefly. I want to recap something. Because here in the text, I think what we're going to see is Jesus is sharing this parable. Um, and it, I, I think, and I think I can show you this, that it's, it's going to relate to where we were last week as he was speaking. So where were we last week, in case you weren't here? We had this situation where Jesus has been out with his disciples. Um, He comes back kind of to town, we believe. He was maybe out on the hillside teaching them, and he comes back to town. A big crowd gathers, and, and, you know, Jesus is back. Let's, let's, you know, kind of find out what he's got to say. Let's see if he'll heal some people. And so they come, and and they kind of come around his house. We don't know all the details about that. And, And we see multiple things here. He has some family members there. Um, that are not believing that he knows what he's doing. They kind of think he's crazy. You know, it's my brother. He's talking kind of out of his head, maybe, is kind of what their thoughts are. But clearly, the, the, the Pharisees are there. Some Pharisees are there, maybe from Jerusalem. They've, they've come down out of Jerusalem. They're up there, been kind of watching what he does and what he says. And, and they're there, present. And he, we think that he heals someone again. And, and then the Pharisees basically, to kind of cut to the chase, say he is of the devil. In fact, he is the devil. Right? That, that's really what they're Satan. He is Satan in the flesh, and that's why he has the power to do these things. And Jesus basically begins to tell them that if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, you may get to a place that you'll never be able, your heart will never be soft again to be able to be forgiven. And we looked at that and we said, that doesn't mean that you say something and all of a sudden you're unforgivable. It means that unbelief can cause such an unbelief, especially when we think about the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit is what does the work in us. God's Spirit is doing the work. If we deny that continually, then there may be a day come that we will not be able to be saved because our heart is just waxed so cold and so hard, right? And so that's what he kind of tells them. And he paints this picture because he gets to end of that passage in verse 30 through 35 in chapter 3, and he basically says, Those that do the will of my father are my brother and my sister and my mother. What's he saying? He says, those who love me and and seek after me and and want to do what I tell them, they're part of the family. He's painting the contrast of those Pharisees and those people that have hard hearts that are are probably sinning in their rebellion and calling him the devil. And he's painting this picture. He says, "There's, there's these two groups of people in the world. Those who do not believe in me and go even to the extent of calling me the devil. And then those those people that want to do the will of my father and who love me. And for those people, they are my family. They are my brother, my sister, and my mother. All right, so that's the picture. Now, I don't know if chronologically, time frame, this is immediately, this parable that we're getting ready to teach. We, we don't know. But it, it sure fits in this line where Mark is talking about this. And we, we pick it up here in chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. And remember... The Gospels didn't have chapters and verses, so it's not like, you know, this is just one continual reading, right? So let's pick it up. we got to dive right in. we got a lot to cover, so let's pick this up. Chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. It says, and again, he, and again, he began to teach beside the sea. And a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he, could, he, he, he got into a boat and sat on, in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. 
And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teachings, he said to them. All right. So once again, it's always good to kind of get a picture, I think, in our head about what's taking place. Remember, these are literal historical events. There was a, there was a real Sea of Galilee. There still is. You go see it today. And Jesus is there. He's been ministering. And what did we see here? Let's look at this. He began to teach. All right. So what was his main purpose here in the Gospel of Mark is that Mark is trying to remind us all from the very beginning of chapter 1 that Jesus came to teach. He came to share the gospel, the good news of salvation, right? Forgiveness of sins. He, he heals people and he does all these miracles. Why? To show that what he's getting ready to tell us is important. He wants our attention, right? Say, look, I just did this. I healed this guy from leprosy. I just cast this demon out. Now pay attention to what I'm getting ready to tell you, right? I'm trying to get your attention. And that's really what he's trying to do here. He's, that's why he's doing these things is to validate who he is. And then it says, so he's, he's beside the sea and he's going to teach, well, this huge crowd gathers around, right? So he, he gets into a boat. It's probably a small boat. We don't know, small boat. And either, maybe it's, maybe it's docked right there. Maybe it's on the shore. But maybe it's out a little ways. And he gets in and he sits down, which would mean, lead me to believe it's probably out in the water. So he needs stability. He sits down. And he begins to teach. Now, just so you know, we don't know exactly where this was taking place. We know it's the Sea of Galilee. We, it's probably near Capernaum there. Um, and so one of the things that I would, would say is if you, if you study, there is a place over outside the Sea of Galilee there right on the shore. Um, I forget what they call it. They, they've named it the something about the parable. The, basically, it's a place where the, the land goes up like this, and people can sit there. And if you stand, in fact, the Israeli scientists have done studies. If you stand out on a boat uh, out in the water and you talk, everybody in that whole hillside could hear you, and that whole hillside's enough for thousands of people, right? Isn't that interesting? I mean, the little, little tidbit. Like, this is a place, he, he doesn't need a megaphone. There could be thousands of people, and they can hear him teaching, right? They can hear him teaching. This is incredible to me, all right? And, and so here, here it is. He's sitting in the boat. He begins to teach, and he was teaching them many things in parables. So, Mark is kind of saying, okay, what he's many things in parables. So there's many parables that are going to be taught here in the next few weeks as we go through Mark here. Several parables. Now, I'll just tell you, it's just a quick glance. I think there's at least 39 different parables that Jesus teaches um, throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels. 60 times, or 50-some, high, high 50s, are parables taught in scripture, some of those parables are taught more than one place. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke may all have the same parable. And so just to give you an example, this parable of the sower is, is so prominent, it's in three of the gospels. It's, it's there. In fact, even John talks about it a little bit. So it, it's present there. So what is a parable, right? So what is a parable? A parable um, is, in fact, you can see from the word a little bit, it's this something that runs parallel to something. Um, it means that something is placed alongside something else for the purpose of comparison or clarification. Okay, so there's this story, this, this thing he tells, this parable, and the point of it is, it seems like it's very earthly and common, but it has another point that's running parallel to it that he's trying to get you to see. In Scripture, these are all spiritual truths that he's teaching, right? He speaks it in the parable, and then... It's a spiritual meaning. 
And it's comparing. He's kind of highlighting this. And so here we see him doing this multiple times. And he starts with this parable. At least that's what the scripture seems to teach. He starts with this parable. And we're going to see here, I think this is the most important parable of all parables. It is the most um, profound and beautiful thing. Now, I will tell you that as a pastor, um, for my short time as a pastor and my short time preaching, when we come to passages of Scripture, there's always challenges um, theologically, uh, interpretations, how do I put application here? And then there are passages like this that are so well-known in the church. You're like, okay, everybody knows the parable of the sower. Now, I realize maybe not all of you do. Maybe some of you aren't even believers. Maybe it's the first time you've stepped into a church. And so I remind myself that we need to teach it. But here's what I want to do. And I, hopefully we'll pull a few things out that you hadn't thought of out of this passage. But the temptation for some pastors and some teachers is to try and make something out of something to make it better than what the Word of God is. And that's absolutely ridiculous and wrong. And, and so the simple truths of Scripture are, is the beauty and so I, I just want to remind you of something about this parable. And I think all parables could, could, I could say this about, but this one specifically. First of all, parables were used in other parts of the world and other civilizations, other people. But everything historically that I've read, the parables that Jesus taught by far are, are so much more um, powerful and dynamic and thoughtful, and just, I mean, the wisdom of them is just incredible. It's just absolutely incredible. And as I was studying this parable, and I, I know this parable fairly well. I mean, I've known it for years, you know, 30, 40 years. There's something beautiful about this that just is like, like how God is, isn't it incredible that God is so infinite that he can make the stars, he can make galaxies, he can create life and the earth and and DNA, and nuclear fission, or fusion, and all of those things. And he can do something so simple in words that it's just beautiful. It sums up the gospel. It's, it sums up the way we live, our struggles. It, 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 it has him in it. So, so this parable that we're getting ready to, to read here, right? There's this sower, and he's sowing seed. And, and what is, who's the sower? Here in the picture, we think the sower in this particular picture is probably God, obviously. He's the one sowing the seed. I think eventually that sower should be us, right? We should, we should be sowing seed. Hopefully you're all sowing seed at some level. But here in the text, I think he's saying, okay, there's a sower. He's sowing seed. And what's the seed? The seed is the word of God. We'll see this here in a little bit. It's the word of God. And it sows it into these soils. And some of there's good soils and bad soils, and we're going to see all that as it kind of unfolds. And who is the soil? The soil is us. The soil is our heart, right? And we're going to see that some soil is receptive to the seed, and some soil is not, and some soil it springs up quickly, and, and we're going to see all of that. But, but the beautiful thing here is, is that God is sowing generously. I want you to don't miss that. Some would argue that, well, um, well, we can take away that because some of the seed fell along the path that, that the sower was, was, um, was sloppy. No, I don't think that's the point of the text. The point of the text is that God sows seed everywhere. Everywhere. He's not selective. He didn't say, oh, there's good soil. I'm only going to sow it there. No, I'm going to give everybody an opportunity to come to know me. I want to share the good news of the gospel with everyone. 
even along the path where most people won't even take it. It won't even take root in most people's lives. They they're just going to trample it under. It's going to be taken away by birds. It's, it's not going to matter. No, I'm going to sow it everywhere. And that's such a principle to know here when we study this passage. That God is sowing seed generously all over the place. And as the church, isn't that what he calls us to do? Is to sow seed everywhere. I mean, Mr. and Mrs. Smith went halfway around the world to sow seed, Right? We should go to the ends of the earth. And you say, well, these people don't believe. They believe in this. Or, or there's, you know, these people are, are Hindus or they're Muslims or, or they're this. Yeah, they, they need seats out there. But it's hard ground, Pastor Ralph. Yep, it is. That's not our responsibility to soften the ground. Our responsibility is to sow the seed, right? And so that's the picture. That's the picture. And we're going to see what happens here. All right, so we're going to look at several things here. Point number one, it starts with a heart willing to listen. This whole thing starts with a heart willing to listen. This morning, did you, when you got up, did you prepare your heart to listen today? Because if you're like me, you all want to talk, right? And so we have to prepare our heart to listen. Be slow to speak and quick to listen, right? That's what the scripture says. So have you prepared your heart? And if you have, how did you do that? Were you preparing your heart last night before you came to say, man, when I get there, Father, help me to, first of all, have a heart of worship. Help me to, like, just be raptured by who you are. Help me to be overwhelmed by your glory and your, your majesty. Help me to be in that mindset. Because I know my flesh, Father. I know I want to think about what I'm having for lunch. I, I know I want to tune out. I want to doodle on the, the giving envelope. You know what I mean? I want to, I want to just wait until it's over, Right? Maybe, maybe when you got up this morning, did you spend any time in prayer? I mean, so I didn't have time. No, did you drive here? You had time. I, every, I only live four minutes away. So, um, but every Sunday that I come, whether I'm preaching or I'm not preaching, I am praying in the car on the way here. Some level. I'm asking God to prepare my heart for worship. Why? Because I know my heart. <laughs> my heart is hard sometimes. I, I, I don't want to see all of you people sometimes. Like, I don't. I mean, like, I just want to be by myself, right? I, 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 I'm, I'm angry about something. I'm, I'm whatever, right? Um, I, I don't know. And when I get here, sometimes my heart is hard, and, and, and worship begins to soften it. And so I would ask you are, you, are you preparing your heart in the morning? You're praying. Does this value? Is there a value to this? Because if you value it, you will prepare your heart for it. Because anything that you value, you will plan for. You will make time for. You will prepare your heart for it. And so here's how we're going to dive in the text. All right. Mark chapter four, verse three through nine. Listen. No, that's what it says. You see the exclamation point there? Now, here's the point I'm trying to make. This is the point that Jesus was trying to make. Who was he just talking to? And they're not listening. And in fact, they're blaspheming the Holy Spirit. And he's getting ready to tell them something. And there's thousands of people sitting here on the shore. And eternity hangs in the balance for them. And he knows their hearts are hard. And so he wants them to listen. Right? That's the point of that word. That word is an imperative. It means listen. Like this is, this is an imperative that you listen to what I'm getting ready to tell you. The whole gospel is going to be wrapped up in this. You need to listen. 
Then he goes on and says, behold, like listen, tune your ears in, and behold what I'm getting ready to tell you. Take in this wonderful, majestic thing that I'm getting ready to tell you and the truth that lies within it, right? Behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell upon the path, along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil. And immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell along among the thorns. And, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now notice what he booked in the parable. Listen, and then if you have ears, let him hear. Because Jesus says, how do we come to faith? Through hearing of the word. How, how, do, we, how do we come? We know the word. God gives us the word. Jesus is the word. You need to listen to the word. It's kind of what this parable is, a big piece of this parable, is what are we doing with the word? We saw in Psalm 119, the psalmist is saying, I, I, I meditate on your word. I, I, I crave your word. I, I want to obey your word. Right? I obey your commandments, your statutes. All those things are the word. They're just other words for the word, right? And so this whole piece, as he's beginning to tell them this, he understands the most important thing is that he gets their attention because it's eternity is hanging in the balance. And he says, I need you to listen. Behold this beautiful thing I'm getting ready to tell you because there's a spiritual truth here that you need to grasp. Because as we look at these soils, there's four different places where it gets sowed. Three of them do not bear fruit. The picture there is that they do not spend eternity with God. Now, I'm not saying 25, 25, 25, 25. I don't know what that percentage is. Maybe only 10% bear fruit. Maybe 30% bear fruit. I, I don't know that. But I'm just saying of the four, only one of these bears fruits. And so there's a warning here. There's a warning. Just like last week, there's a warning to us. And that's why we need to listen Romans chapter 10, verse 17 says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We have to hear it. How will they know unless someone tells them Romans 10 there? But here's the thing. You've, you've, you're aware of this. We can hear, but are we listening? Right? I know, wives, you think your husband, you're thinking your husband right now. Well, I know he heard me, but he's just not listening to me. Right? Your children. Yeah, I heard you. I heard you, Mom. But they don't go do it, right? They're not listening. Listening requires an active role of the hearer to act upon that. Here in the text, I think what, what Jesus is trying to say, you need to listen and act upon what I'm getting ready to tell you. It's not enough just to hear it, and we're going to see that in the text. You have to act upon it. And so you can be sitting here this morning, and you can say, well done, Pastor. And you don't act upon it, then it was not well done. The, the, the word is not taken root in you, right? Second point. So not only it starts with a heart willing to listen. And, so, and I want to just one more comment on that. This heart willing to listen is this desire. Um, you, you're going to see it in other places here in the text. There's a desire to listen. They, they wanted to hear, 
right? They wanted to know more. When you came this morning, did you come with a desire to get closer to Jesus? Did you desire to worship him? Did you desire to bring him glory in your singing, in your fellowship? Did you desire when you got here to be able to sit under the teaching of the word and to, to know him better, to know him more? That's, that's who he's talking about here. There's people that desire it and there's people that don't desire it. And we're gonna see that. In fact, here it is. Point number two. To those who have a heart to listen, the secret is revealed. To those who have a heart to listen, the secret is revealed. So there's something beautiful that if we will listen, God has something incredible. And that's why I love that word, behold. Like, man, pay attention, behold, I'm going to share something with you that is radically going to shape your whole life if you will just listen to what I'm telling you. And if you will, I have a secret to share with you. Verse 10 and 12, through 12. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. Let's stop right there for a second. So get the context again. What's happening? Now he's alone. He's not on the boat anymore probably. We don't know. We don't know if he's told a bunch of parables, if he only told one parable. But he's alone now with them. And with who? Pay attention to who's there. When he was alone... Those around him with the 12. So there was the 12, the apostles, and those around them. I would probably disciples, people that wanted to know. They'd heard this parable, right? They'd heard this parable. And, and, and you know, can you imagine the people walking around saying, okay, he's been healing people, casting out demons, and now he's telling us how to sow seed? What's the big deal? I know how to sow seed. I don't really, that's stupid. I don't really care. I know how to sow seed. I don't put it along the path. I know where to sow it, right? And I, yeah, it produces. That's, that's, you know, good soil produces. Duh, right? But there's some that say, hmm, I know this guy. There's more to this story. I want to know more. Jesus, tell me. I'm hungry to know what you're doing here. I've seen what you've been doing. I know you're, you teach with authority. I, I, I'm missing something here. What? Tell me what this means. Tell me. There's, there's a heart, I think, here in the text, right? There's a heart to want to know more. He goes on there and it says, and he said to them, you have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Wow. The secret. Like, what, what is the secret that they've been given? The gospel. They don't even completely know it yet, but they've been given to it. Now, you could say, and we're going to see here, I think this secret is him, right? I mean, he is the gospel. He's the word incarnate. He is the living word, as John chapter 1 says, right? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's been given to them. He's been given to them. To you has been given the secret of the kingdom. And here I stand, right? But for those outside, everything is in parables. So who are the people outside? Well, we don't know, is this literally outside? Maybe they're in a house, and he's saying for the people outside, the Pharisees and all those things, that's, that's possible. It could mean for those on the outside, in other words, they're not part of the family. We just got done with this passage last week at the end of three that says, you know, if you want to be my, you got to do the will of the Father to be in the family. And some of you are on the outside. You're not doing the will of the Father, so you're not part of the family. You're not my brother, my sister, or my mother, right? You're not. You're on the outside. And so there's people on the outside and people on the inside. And he's basically saying, you're on the inside. You have knowledge, the secret of God. 
of the kingdom. He goes on there, it says, but those on the outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And they may indeed hear, but not understand. Lest they should turn and be forgiven. Most commentators will tell you that that passage right there is probably the most perplexing passage of all of the Gospel of Mark. What does that mean? Does that mean that God is saying, I'm not going to let you see this. I'm not going to let you be forgiven. I'm not going to let you come to repentance. I'm just not going to allow it. Well, it's a tough one. Where does it come from? Where does that passage come from? That passage comes from Isaiah chapter 6, like verse 9 and 10. It's, it's Isaiah's, maybe some of you know this passage, Isaiah's kind of um, in the throne room of God, and, and he basically sees the the angels, and he becomes undone, and he's unclean. He realizes he's just unworthy, um, and, and God, an angel comes and puts a, a coal on his lips, and, and, and basically then God says, who will I send? Basically, who will I send to my people? And Isaiah says, send me. I'll go. And so he says, okay, I'll send you. And then he basically tells what he wants Isaiah to tell them, and basically is that they're going to see, but they're not going to be able to hear and understand. They're, gonna, they're not going to be able to perceive. That's what he wants them to tell them. Is God saying, I'm not going to let them? That's a tough question. I don't think so. Obviously, God is sovereign. He knows, but but I don't think that's what he's trying to get to. I don't think that's what he's trying to get here. I think what he's trying to say is, look, their hearts are hard, so they will not see. Because remember, we just looked last week at the Pharisees' hearts were hard, right? And they can't see it. He's standing right in front of them, and they do not see it. Their hearts have gotten cold and hard. and, And so he's basically saying, I'm not going to let you come because your hearts are hard. Like, you don't get to, like, sign the card and get in when your hearts are hard. You don't get to do that. So you're not going to be able to understand. I'm going to speak to you in parables. The people on the inside that love me, that desire me, that their hearts are tender, they want to know I'm going to give them the secret of the kingdom. But for those on the outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive and may indeed hear but not understand lest they should turn and be forgiven. You can come talk to me about that afterwards. There's a mystery here in the text. Is God the author of salvation? Yes. I think when I look at the totalitarian of Scripture, I think that the seed is being sowed everywhere. So there's this picture of, of anyone can come. He wants all people to come and be saved at some level. But God is the author of Salvation, so he has to work. can't come to the Father unless the Father first draws you. So there's this picture there. But here in the text, I think he's saying, look, your hearts are hard. And so if your hearts are hard, I'm going to speak to you in parables. And and you're not going to come to know me. Because your hearts are hard. But those whose hearts are not hard, I'm going to give them the secret of the gospel, the secret of the kingdom. And once again, when it says here that they may indeed see but not perceive. I don't know. The scripture doesn't say this. What is, I think what he means there is like, don't you see me? Like, I'm right here. I've healed people. I've cast demons out. I've taught you in the synagogue and here in public. I've done all these things. I healed a leopard. I, I, I touched someone that was unclean. I mean, I've, I've said that I've, I have the power to forgive sins. Don't you see me? And what's it say? They indeed see but they don't perceive. They thought he was the devil. And, and indeed, 
You hear, but you don't understand. I've told you who I am. I'm teaching. I, I, I don't know what more I can say to you, but you don't understand. So you, you're not, you're not going to understand. You're not going to be forgiven. The parables aren't going to make any sense for you because your heart is cold. Matthew chapter 13, verse 11, which is the other parable of the sower in, in the gospel of Matthew, just one piece of it here in verse 11, it says, and he answered them. They asked the question again. He says, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. The gospel is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? Saved by grace through faith. Right? It's not a work. It's not of our own doing so that no one can boast. Is a gift of God. Right? It's a gift. Jesus is making that clear here that this thing, this secret that I'm giving you is a gift. You didn't earn it. You didn't do anything to earn it. In fact, just the opposite. You have not earned it. In fact, you don't even understand, but because your hearts are tender, I'm going to share it with you. This idea of this idea of insiders and outsiders. This, this is a beautiful thing. Like, the Pharisees were the insiders, they thought, right? They, they were the ones, the, the religious people that knew, that, that studied the law, that were waiting on the, the arrival of the Messiah. They were like the insiders, the religious people, the pious people. Those were the insiders. And the outsiders were many of those people that were common, the lepers, the, 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 you know, the, the Gentiles, and, and so many Jews that weren't even really following the practices of things, and they didn't agree with many of the things maybe the Pharisees were doing. And so there was insiders and outsiders. I love what Jesus comes and basically does. He makes some of the, well, they'll find out someday that they thought they were insiders, but someday they're going to realize they were outsiders. And there's going to be some people that think they're outside, and someday they're going to realize they're part of the family, they're inside. And that's what Jesus is unpacking here and sharing with us. I don't know where you're at this morning in that. But Jesus wants you to be an insider. He sowed the seed generously. Is your heart tender for it? Does your heart want it? Does it, does it desire that? Does, do you feel God working in you to crave that desire? Because he's given you the mystery of the gospel. Here it says secret. Some of your translations may say the mystery. What is that mystery? The mystery is that Jesus came and died and took upon our sins so that we could have a righteousness not of our own. And then in 13 he says, he said to them, do you not understand this parable? Like, okay, I don't think he's, he's not mocking them here, I don't think. He's not saying, hey, are, are, you, are you guys not like thinking right in the head? Don't you get this? But I think what he's trying to teach them here is, is this parable is really important. Because what's he say? How then will you understand all the parables? I think what he's saying is this parable is the lens and all other parables will flow through. This is the parable among parables. This is the picture of the gospel, the sower, the seed, God sending his seed, sowing the word. What happens in our hearts? Do we come? Do we not come? Does the problems of this world, do we, all of those things. And then those who are good soil, those who receive the seed will bear fruit and it will bear much fruit. Much fruit. And so he says, you need to understand this one, guys. And, and I'm going to now explain it to you. Right? That's what he's getting ready to do. He's going to explain it to them. Third point. 
Satan's goal is to make God's word ineffective in our lives. Satan's whole goal is to make the word ineffective in our life. Right? We're going to see it clearly here in the first thing. It says that Satan comes along and snatches it away. But I would say even in these other things, the enemy is at work in snatching it away from our hearts. Right? And making it ineffective. It's his goal. We have to realize there's a real enemy. There's real spiritual warfare. There are things that are happening. And we need to be equipped for that. And and the goal is to take the word and make it ineffective, which means that you and I need to make sure that we are focused on how do we get the word into our heart? How do we hold on to it? How do we meditate on it? That's why Psalm 119 is so powerful. I encourage you to go and read it. And so we're going to look at three types of soil to begin with. I named them. The first soil, the hard-hearted and the distracted. The hard-hearted and the distracted. This is the sowing that, that kind of went along the, the path. The path was generally um, either the roadside because you didn't want to trample into the field and, or there were paths that went through the field that, that they walked on to be able to throw and to harvest and it was hard packed. It was never plowed up. It was never tilled. And so the path was extremely hard. And so this picture is, is that the seed that falls upon the path never gets rooted at all, right? It says in Mark chapter 4, verse 14 and 15, the sower sows the word, and these are the ones that along the path were sown, where the word was sown. So we see here, it's the word. And when they hear, that they hear, they hear it, right? Immediately, Satan comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And so, once again, are we seeing that, okay, God won't let them hear it? No, I don't, I don't think that's what he's saying. Satan comes along and takes it away. And so now, how, how does that happen? This is, we could have an endless discussion here. But there's kind of two big pieces in my mind. There's the hard-hearted. The Pharisees here were hard-hearted. They didn't, <laughs> it didn't matter what he said. They thought he was of the devil. They just didn't want to believe. They didn't want, they didn't want to lose their privilege. They didn't want to lose their status. They were not going to believe, right? And so they're hard, like the path. They're hard. doesn't matter. Chuck it on there. Satan comes along and takes it away. It's not even fruitful for them. And then there's the distracted, that I would say. The distracted are, are those, um, boy, this is, this is big in our, our world today. You're just, you and I are so distracted away from the word of God. With, with, every, with every cell phone, I mean, I mean, just, we're just so distracted about the world. There's, there's activities every day of the week, even on Sunday. That doesn't want you to come to church. There's, foot, there's, you know, there's practices, there's games, there's tournaments. There's, there's all sorts of things to take you away, distractions. There, there's sleeping in. That's a distraction, right? It was just, I, w- I want to do that. There's football. There's all of these things that are just distractions in our world. Screens everywhere, constant media bombarding us. Because anything to kind of say, no, don't look over there. Don't look over there. And so we don't even see it. We're so distracted that when the seed falls, we don't even know it's on us. <laughs> we don't even see it. We don't even recognize it. And I would even argue that you can sit in church every Sunday and be a distracted or hard-hearted person. You don't want it. You're here for, for some other reasons. Your wife made you come. Your husband made you come. Your parents made you come. You don't desire Jesus. You don't have a heart leaning in and saying, well, I want to know more about this. I want to, I want to, just tell me more, Lord. No, you're just here checking a box. I get it. I was there. I did that. 
You know what you need to do if you really have any, is you need to pray that God will save you. You need to just cry out to God and say, God, my heart is hard. I am distracted. Will you come and make your home in me and give me, make me a new creation in Christ? Change me. Change me. Because I know who I am. I know this is what I want. I know it's not you. But I know that I'm supposed to want you. So the only way I can get there is if you just will make me alive and you will save me. Because Satan's goal is to make your word ineffective in me. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3 and 4. It says, even if our gospel is veiled, here's Paul talking now about the presentation of the gospel. It is veiled to those who are perishing. It's veiled to those who don't believe. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, they don't see him. That's why he says you can see, but yet you don't perceive. I'm standing here, but you don't see me. Here in the text, it even says, and Paul says, you blinded them to keep them from seeing the light of the glory of Christ. Christ is standing right in front of them, and they don't see it. And who is the image of God? God in the flesh is standing there, and they don't see it. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes that's, that's true for me. Are you, I, I say this all the time. Are you overwhelmed by who God is? who Jesus is? Are you overwhelmed by his creation, about the glory that he has? Did you look at the stars? I said that a few weeks ago. Do you go out and look and, and see creation? And just, are you overwhelmed at it? When you look at a baby, do you just, are you overwhelmed? Or is it veiled? And it's not that God is not allowing you to see it. It's that you don't, people don't want to see it because our hearts are hard. We're dead in our sin. Second group, the shallow-rooted, the shallow-rooted. Verse 16, 17, these are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones when they bear or hear the word, so hearing is always there. They're hearing it, right? They hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves. But endure for a while. Then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. I want to just point a couple things out here. They immediately receive it with joy. You know some people like that, maybe? Now, we're not to judge anyone here, whether they're believers or not. We don't get to do that. That's God. We're fruit, bear, we're, we're fruit inspectors, so we do kind of know that. But I will tell you that in my 25 years here at the church, 26 years, whatever, and 16 years as a pastor, I've seen a lot of people receive it with joy. I mean... They come forward and talk to us, and we baptize them, and they're excited. And three weeks later, literally, I never see them again, ever. It's, it's devastating. It's, it's like I, mean, I feel hurt for them. I, I have people in my mind right now that I'm thinking of. You say, well, pastor, you don't know. Maybe they went to another church. No, I know these people. They're not attending anywhere. They've shunned the gospel in their life from everything that I can see. He said, well, pastor, maybe they're just, I don't know. All I can tell you is that one time they were here, and now they're here. I don't think they came to know Christ, maybe. I think that maybe they just sprung up because, look, it's good news. You, you may be here today, and, and you hear the gospel, and you hear that Jesus, this person named Jesus, God became a man and died for you. Man, I'll take that. Give me that. Give me two of those. You know, put them in my bag. 
right? But then you realize, oh, there's consequences to this. What do you mean by that? Well, okay, well, there's a standard that Jesus wants me to live. Oh, I don't want to do that. You know, well, that's, that's sin. He doesn't want me to do that. Well, I don't want to do that. I love doing that, right? Oh, I may have to lose some of my friends. Oh, no, I'm not, definitely not doing that, you know? But it sounded good. You had joy as soon as you heard the West. But then you realize there's, there's consequences to that. There's, there's results, or there's, I shouldn't say results. There's, there's just a way of living that God wants for us, and we walk away from that. I remember a, a guy that several years ago, won't use his name, but several, several years ago, man, he came, and he was on fire, and, and we baptized him. He had this incredible testimony. I filmed it back in one of the rooms back there, and we showed it, and I think we still got it. I remember his name like it was just, uh, I went to his home, and, and I married him and his wife. I did their ceremony, and, and man, I just thought, this guy is going to be an evangelist. I mean, this guy is incredible. Well, it wasn't long. They were divorced. It wasn't long. He leaves the church, leaves town. Many years later, I see him on Facebook. He's living in Texas. He's a universalist, believes everybody goes to heaven. It's totally changed. Send him a message on Facebook. Fell on pretty hard soil, right? I don't get to determine who takes root and who doesn't. My responsibility and your responsibility is to sow seed. I remember um, many of you may know this name. Some of you that are younger won't. Uh, James Vernon McGee. I've said this before. Maybe you'll remember him. Uh, I listened to him for many years and didn't realize he was dead. Um, it was, he was just recording all the time, right? <clears throat> and I, I do have a question. Will all of you listen to Brian and I after we're dead? No, you won't. I get it. It's okay. Sorry. This guy was on the radio all the time. And uh, I remember, like it was yesterday, I'm sure I've shared this with you before. He kind of had this raspy voice, you know, and he said, I don't get too excited when people get baptized. He said, now five years later, if they're still following Jesus, I get excited. And there's just truth to that. This is the parable, right? Five years, if you still are in love, if you're still doing it, man, following Jesus, yeah, that's something now we can say. But you know, we got to be careful. We want to encourage those people to get baptized. But, but we know that this parable is true. Like, there will be people that will do it. They can answer all the right questions, do all the right things. And I'm not saying they're a wolf in sheep's clothing. I'm not going to go that far. But I'm saying that they just may just don't, they just don't want to pay the price of what it takes to follow Jesus, right? They just, they just don't want to, right? These are the ones who fall on rocky ground, and they hear the word, and immediately they see with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately fall away. I just want to make sure that you realize that that is persecution because of the word. That, that there is, is not saying that, oh, because life gets in the way. That's the next one. This was, the, the, the persecution comes because of the word. It, there's a cost to following Jesus, and you have to decide, are you in or are you out? Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing to lose those friends? Not that you want to, not that you should push them away, but are you willing to make the hard decision? I want to live a holy life. I'm, I'm trying to please God. That's where my, my king and my savior, I'm going to try and please him. I still want to be your friend. Well, a lot of times people say, well, I don't want to be your friend anymore because you you're no fun anymore. You don't want to do the things I want to do. Or maybe you're not going to get that promotion or, or whatever. And, and, and that, that thing in job, you want to be one of the gang and want to be the team. And, and, and boy, if I live that, I won't be able to have that. And surely God wants me to get this promotion because that, that would be helpful for my family. No, there's, there's persecution there. And, and, and 
you know, by God's grace, we have not had that in America. And that's probably one reason why the church is kind of anemic in some ways. Because we have people in the church that, that are this. They've sprung up and there's no root in them. Right? There's no root in them. Doesn't mean they... I mean, we want to keep encouraging those people. We keep wanting to sow seed, but just so you know. 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. Jesus says, they went out. This is a very interesting passage. It says, they went out from us, talking about some of the disciples that were with them, because they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they were not of us. It's a tongue twister. But they didn't stay. They didn't remain. I don't know why they did that. I don't know if it was persecution. Clearly, there was some persecution going on in Jesus' life and things like that. So I would imagine that's what it was. It doesn't say they left for riches or gold or whatever. I don't know. But clearly, there are people that follow along. Judas followed along for a while. But then he went out. Demas is another one, I think, in 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy. Paul says, he deserted me, right? Mark chapter 18 and 19, or chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And others are the ones sown among the thorns. And they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of the riches and the desires of other things enter and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. If you have your Bible and you have your pen, you need to underline some things here. Those that hear the word and the cares of the world, and the deceitfulness of the riches. So the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things. What do those three things do? They choke the word, and it proves unfruitful, right? Church, this one is for America. This one is for the Western world. We have struggles with those other ones as well, absolutely. But this one, in spades, is speaking to our culture today, to me to you, right? I'm going to read you three passages. I'm just going to make brief comments on them. Why am I doing this? Because I want to show you the emphasis that Scripture's putting on it for our world today. So here we see Mark talking about it here in the text with Peter, because Peter's probably telling him what to write, and they're writing this in Mark chapter 4, verse 18 and 19. Let's look at Paul's writing to 1 Timothy in 6, verse 9 and 10. But those who desire... So once again, got your pen, pencil? Underline every time you see desire or craving in this passage. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Paul's just saying, look, the love of money will do you in. Right? First John chapter 2, verse 15, and seven, 15 through 17. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires, there it is again, underline that, desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. You can't serve two things. Whatever you love the most is what's going to matter. And what Jesus says is, you have to love me more than anything else. 
You can't be my disciple unless you love me more than anything else. I'm, they shall have no other gods before me. God is not, there will be nobody standing before the throne and saying, well, I just didn't know that. No, scripture is loaded with clear billboards that says, no, God requires or desires, not just requires, he requires our love and devotion. Not to be perfect, not, not, not to be perfect. But we have to love him more than anything else. Our, our trust, it has to be in him. Do not love the world or the things of the world. Pretty clear. You can't love things more than me, right? Now, what is, I'll give you one more. James chapter 4, 4. You adulterous people, exclamation point. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So what is enmity? Um, we see this in Genesis. There's enmity. God is going to put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. What is enmity then? It's something that will never be reconciled. There's, a, there's, there's no negotiating. There's no peace treaty that's going to be had. There's no, it's enmity. It's going to be at war forever. The seed of the woman, seed of the serpent. There's this enmity. Here, what's he say? Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So if you have a friendship with the world, if you, if you crave the world more than you crave time with God, there's an enmity that will not be reconciled. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Wow, that is just like, I don't know if it gets much clearer than that. Those are warning signs for, the, for our world, for the church today, right? Peter and Mark say it, Paul says it, John says it, James says it. So what, what does that look like for you? Like, I mean, it doesn't mean we can't have things. I, I hesitate to say that because then it's like, oh, I can have all sorts of things. I think I've shared this before. One of the things I, I read in a book many years ago by John Piper, he says, the question is not what's wrong with having that or doing X, Y, or Z. The right question is how does having that or doing X, Y, or Z bring glory to God? If I can answer that question, then that's good. Is it wrong to have a second house? No. It's not sinful to have a second house. What are you doing with that second house? Oh, I'm spending every weekend away from the church, hanging out by myself up there with my family. Okay, then that's probably not bringing glory to God. Oh, no, I let people use it from the church. I do retreats up there. You know, we get away. We have our family up there. We do, you know, devotions, Bible studies. I mean, we're just using it for the kingdom. Okay, that's a different picture, right? Completely different picture. What's, what's wrong with spending this amount of money? My wife and I, years and years ago, put some money in our kitchen and, and we put some very expensive countertops in and, and we had to wrestle with that. I had to wrestle with that. She had to wrestle with that. And we said, we want this to last because we're going to have people here. We're going to have children. We're going to have students here. We're going to have life groups here. We want this to be a nice place for people to come to be able to do this. Okay, I, I think that's different. Maybe I'll find out I still spent too much money. I don't, I don't know. But, but my heart, our hearts were in the right place, I think. It's not about the money. It's about where our hearts are. What are you doing with your resources? Is it all for you? I mean, I know my flesh wants that. I, when we paid our house off, I've shared this with you, I think. When we paid our house off, one of the first things we did is we decided we have to find some places to put this money for the gospel because we'll spend it all. <laughs> like this, this extra money now that we have every month, we're going to want to spend this on ourselves. That's what my flesh wants. I've got to allocate this. My wife and I have to decide where we can allocate some of this because otherwise it won't. So how are you spending your resources? How are you deploying your resources in the kingdom? We're going to have to answer for that. 
Next point. It's not enough to hear the word. We must accept it. It's not enough to hear the word. We must accept it. Last verse as we close. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. What does it mean to accept it? It means to, to believe, to be a doer, to accept the, all the, the things that come with hearing it and believing it, the living the life out, choosing to want to follow. It's to accept the, the, the consequences of that decision. Scripture says we count the cost. A builder should first count the cost, right? Am I going to follow? And if I do that and I accept it, fruit will come. I don't produce the fruit of my own. God will bring the fruit if we are faithful and bear fruit, right? We accept it and bear fruit. We'll see the benefits. We'll see the outcome of our acceptance. 30-fold, 60-fold, and 100-fold. John, I think it's John eight fifteen. As for the good soil, there are those who... Hearing the word, hold it fast in honor and good heart and bear fruit with patience. Hold fast. We hold fast to the word. Don't let it go. Meditate on it. Store it in your heart. Hold fast to it. Be in it. Sit under the teaching. Crave it. Desire it. And that leads me to your takeaway. Bearing fruit is evidence of saving faith. Jesus has clearly said these other people, <laughs> they don't love me. There's evidence there that they don't believe. That they don't love me. He gets to the end and says, if you bear fruit, there's evidence there that you love me. All right? Now, it's evidence. It doesn't, only God knows about salvation. I'm just saying, if you're bearing fruit, that's a good sign. If you're bearing it for the kingdom, what is fruit? Oh, it's all sorts of things. Bearing fruit is how you love people, how you are empathetic, um, uh, how you spend your resources, how you spend your time, all those things. They're bearing fruit for the kingdom. And, and so I, I just want to ask you this morning as we kind of close here, are you bearing fruit? Are, are, is, it, is the gospel changing you and, and, and directing your, your life? Years ago, we used to always say, um, let me look at your checkbook, which many of you maybe don't carry one now. Let me look at your bank account. Let me look at your calendar. Let me look at your cell phone. Let me look at your text. Let me look at your, your, your calendar there and all your appointments and, and how you're spending your money. And I'll tell you if you're probably bearing any fruit, right? Are you investing in the kingdom anywhere, right? Or is it all for you? Are you falling into, you know, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things? Bearing fruit is evidence of saving faith. Last verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. He's talking to believers here. He says, now that we have received not the spirit of the world, so it's not where we're at, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Here's the gospel. We understand them freely. It's a free gift. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. So we're now sharing this. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. We're sharing, we're, we're, we're sharing the gospel. My last point here is that this is a picture of discipleship. 
by Jesus. Jesus teaches the parable, and then he explains it to them. He doesn't just share it and then not explain it. He explains it. So when we disciple someone, we share the scripture, and then we teach it. We explain it to them. We help them understand it because we want it to grow and take root in their life. We walk alongside them. We run parallel to them. We are part of that process. We're sowing seed along the way. We're sowing it to everyone. We're not selective where we sow it. The truth is, is that a small portion possibly of the seed that we sow will come to bear fruit. That's not your responsibility. That's not my responsibility. We are to sow. Many people get frustrated because they sow seed and they're, you know, they get one, two, and three, like I said, and, and nobody's bearing fruit. So I don't want to disciple anybody. But it is so sweet when you have a number four, right? When someone, you come alongside and you just see them being transformed by the word of God. Their life is being transformed by it. They are bearing fruit and we walk alongside them. And and you just need to hold on knowing that you don't know what that seed is going to do 10 years from now or five years from now or 50 years from now. I mean, there was seed sowed in my life. And for 10 years, I lived not good, not going to church sinfully, And finally, God caused it to bear fruit. Many men shared the gospel with me and poured into me, and it didn't bear fruit for many years. I trust now, by God's grace, it's bearing a little. So, are you bearing fruit? I encourage you to go home today and talk to your spouse, talk to your kids, ask each other. So, how are you bearing fruit? Not to be critical, to encourage. Maybe you can remind people of the fruit that they're bearing that they don't see. And if you're not bearing fruit, why are you not bearing fruit? Do you really believe it? If you trusted in Christ, maybe you need to ask God to save you. Cry out to him and say, God, I, I want to bear fruit. Will you save me? Will you make me a new creation in Christ? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. Lord, I thank you for this incredible, majestic parable so profound and, and glorious. Father, may we not be found in the first three, but may our hearts be tender for the word. May we take it in and accept it and believe it and act upon it. Father, I pray that we will become sowers of the seed as well, sowers of the word that we will cast abundantly to our world, to our children, to our neighbors, to the world. And then we will trust you with the harvest. We will trust you with the growing and the, and the, the evidence of this, the harvest that comes through what you do in people's hearts. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for our time together today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.